Hi, welcome back. So last week I talked to Riz Shah um, about the double standards that he found as a single working dad of three kids and what he saw was different between him and his female colleagues. I definitely think that we face different standards and I wanted to learn more about it. I think that the conversation about working parenthood and flexibility and our roles is really going to shift when we're able to have a more open conversation about it. So this week I talked to Liam Daly. He's a market researcher and a friend of mine. We met when our first, we were in, a, you'll hear, an intensive birthing class weekend before our first children were born. Um, Liam's been in market research for a long time now and he's in the midst of a really big uh, project interviewing men for a large consumer goods retailer. In this talk you're going to hear uh, some insights that men that Liam's taken from his conversations with men um, about masculinity in general, about parenthood as well. Um, we talk about how the lack of a very defined role um, of modern fatherhood today can actually work for and against working dads in different circumstances. Um, we talk about how men make and talk about the big decisions in their work and their lives and how sometimes that lack of role definition often just gets translated by the media as cluelessness. It's interesting, before my daughter was born, I remember getting dozens and dozens of emails from my women friends, checklists for what I needed to do um, at the hospital, right when she came home, right after that. I mean, I felt like I was already looking at this mountain of expectations. Frankly, just putting together a registry or, or trying to figure out what I needed to get for the baby was one of the most overwhelming <laughs> things that I've ever had to do. Um, it just seemed like there was a right answer, right? Um, and after we brought my daughter home from the hospital, I, you know, I was pretty, you know, I was pretty in it. I was pretty concerned about everything that she did. I would, I would, um, you know, I would look at her reactions and Google them. Um, I mean, just, it's an anxious time, right? And I looked at my husband and I saw that he was pretty ridiculously relaxed about everything. And I sort of looked at him sideways for a little while and I was sure that I was doing it the right way. I was sure if I just followed all these rules that all of my girlfriends had told me about that and, and these books were telling me and that these Google answers were telling me that I would somehow get everything right. And in about week, in about week three, he, he was looking at me and he said, you know, what if we just put the book down for a minute? Like, what if we just take a day and we don't look up any of her behaviors, right? We don't look up anything. We just trust that she's okay. We're her parents and we'll know. We'll know when something's wrong and we'll know, you know, just based on our instincts what we're supposed to be doing. And honestly, that idea to trust your instincts and to stop Googling is one of the best parenting principles 
that I follow to this day. So I love this conversation. Liam is a great guy. I hope you enjoy it. And just a little FYI, just a few days after this conversation, he had a beautiful baby girl while his wife did. Enjoy. Not interviewing you. (laughs) Yeah, so you're asking a lot of questions about men. So, um, yeah, for one of my clients who's um, one of the big uh, personal care brands we would all know, um, they're doing a really interesting project, which is one of those dream projects for a researcher like me, which is go out, let's find out about the state of men in Mm -hmm. 2014 in uh, the US and the UK. Um, And we're talking to them about everything from lifestyle all the way down to grooming, which is kind of very close to what what my client is interested in. But as part of it, spending a lot of time asking the really big question of um, uh, basically the structure of what we're doing is we're finding very, very interesting creative men um, in New York and in uh, London. So people who are photographers, stylists, journalists, um, the kind of people you just love to talk to because they're very creative. Right. Um, and uh, we're using them for, for you know, basically to, to pick their brains over a six-month period. So I was doing a film with them um, this past week and was asking them the unanswerably big question, which is, men, 2014, uh-huh. <laughs> what are we like? Right. How are we different than our father's generations? What are, what are we thinking about? And knowing I was going to talk to you, I also talked to them a little bit about, um, you know, the, the role of men, especially the guys that I was talking to who were dads, mm-hmm. um, how they manage that and how they think about it and how they feel different. It's a really difficult question because it's often like asking a goldfish what it thinks about the water. Sure. It, it kind of, well, the water is the water. What do you mean? What do I think about it? Right. Um, but I think, I think, interestingly, my theory, especially on, on men, um, and I spend all my career talking to every age, both genders, uh, in groups, individually, in home, out of home, across, around the world, mm-hmm. um, and often what my clients are, are asking about kind of overlaps with just kind of the state of men, the state of gender, um, however we describe it. Um, and really interestingly, I think I was, I, was, I was talking to one of the guys for this project and we were discussing how, you know, if you think about civil rights or you think about the role of women, um, no, matter, no matter how we feel, no matter the, the truth on the ground, the, the debate is largely clear. You know, the, the, the debate about, you know, what, what should women do? Well, women should do everything. Right. Um, and we can all feel very conflicted about are we spending enough time at home? Are we spending enough time as moms? Are we spending enough time as wives? Are we doing it in the right way? Are we achieving enough? It's a complex mess. Same with ethnicity. You know, it's a complex mess. You know, and lip service may be paid. You know, you can have plenty of sexists, you can have plenty of racists, and, and they may pay lip service. But it's it, you know, the debate is largely over about well, can you know what what can people do? I think with masculinity, the difficulty that men find is that there is no debate. We don't have a debate kind of within each other. Mm-hmm. We don't you know the traditional roles of men have changed. But what are we comfortable with when, especially when we have children? Then what role do we assert? Especially when our wives work, what what gender roles are 
right and and normal what gender roles that are traditionally not um, male roles do men take over um, do we you know do we leave the office at 6.30 to go home and to be a dad or do we take a hit you know if, if, if that's the thing that we love to do which you know all, all my friends who are dads want to be home and want to be with their kids mm-hmm. um, do we take the hit and say no we're going we're gonna to stay working late because that's what dads do you know so our wives go home um Hmm. I've never, that's interesting, take the hit, though. So it's sort of like, as you're, I mean, that reframes the conversation right there, because I think that when women are having these, like, debates and these talks about, you know, having it all and leaving the workplace, it's kind of like, the hit is on the woman having to go home a lot of the time. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd never thought about it like that. Is um, that, That's the thing that I find most difficult is I don't know whether I should be going home at six o'clock when I've got a lot, lot of work to do uh-huh. when my entire drive to go home is to be with my son and my wife right um, and I, I that, that's the biggest conflict that I find because in the role that I have there is you know I, I could work eight hours a day Saturday and Sunday and still sure. still have more to do because I'm, I'm, I'm working to grow a, a company um, so the decision of okay well I'm going to go home now because you know it's 6.30 and I want to be home for an hour so that I can be with my son should I shouldn't I Um, but I think back you know back to my earlier point it's and this is when when you talk to men about these kind of issues that often is I certainly find when I interview them it's the is the best entry into the conversation is we don't know what we're doing do we? We don't know what mm. we should be doing, do we? Oh no, no. I've, and most men, whether it's you know the highly creative people that I'm working with on this um, on this project, or you know I'm doing air quotes, you know ordinary guys in ordinary places, um, they don't know what they should or could be doing. Um, unlike issues of uh, you know feminism or um, ethnicity. You know the the debate is not clear, so so you can stand on whatever area of the debate you want, or you know whatever nuance of the debate you want. But it, you know the, the the playing field is very very clear and very clearly marked. Mm-hmm. I think with with masculinity generally, even even if we don't think about working, or we don't think about children, um, just just if we think about the state of masculinity in you know the Western world. Um, that very small topic it's it's <laughs> the playing field is, is is not clear we don't we also don't have the same language to use the same asp- you know men don't have the same aspirations um i think uh there's in a lot of, well there's a lot of guys who are uh, this is one of the things i've been doing in this study there's, there's a lot of men who are you know wanting to find traditional jobs where they make stuff make tables make chairs you know this uh, kind of go go a little bit back to the world of their fathers, where you you know you you felt confident in yourself by doing stuff and, mm-hmm. and having rough hands. Um, right. And there's a lot of guys who find that very old-fashioned and very old industry. And you know who the hell would want to do that? Actually, I want to be more involved with childcare and blah 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 blah. So I think you know there's no. <laughs> There's a there is a there is a yearning. I remember even a very long time ago, I did a did a research project in the north of England. I mean, I've lived in New York for 
13 years now, but in, in the north of England. Um, and I can't remember who the client was, but it was talking to men about um, how the economy had changed. And um, because, you know, industry collapsed, mm-hmm. you know, very, North of England's very like the Midwest, factory Detroit, town. you know, something right. like that. Yeah, factory towns, factory goes away. Um, women are, are much more able for a variety of reasons to flex into doing almost any job. Um, talking to the men, and the men were often, um, I say left at home, or often had made the decision to stay home and be carers for the family. And about 50% of them were, you know, and these were, if we think this is about a dozen years ago, these were rough, tough, um, hard-working men, and about 50% of them were, well, this is just what happens. This is just what, you know, I, I can look after the kids as, as well as my wife can, so that's what I do. She can earn more money than me. Great. Well, you know, that's how we divide it. Mm-hmm. And half of them had this classically male yearning to be, you know, I need to be the breadwinner, I need to go kill the ox, bring it home, you know, put it on the fire kind of, kind of feeling. So right. I think, I think that is still a little bit where men are just that confusion about, well, what, what can we do and mm-hmm. how, how do we feel about what we can do? So as you're interviewing all these guys now about, as you said, the small topic of masculinity mm. today, <laughs> are you, do you, are you learning Sounds like you're learning that they're confused. Are you seeing any sort of themes or patterns in terms of being less confused? Um, I was. I always think, you know, my my industry is female dominated, um, which is one of the reasons why I really like it because um, I'm not a kind of classically man's man. You know, I can I can talk about sports for about thirty seconds, <laughs> and then I want to talk about you know, art and flowers and things like that. that. That's why I'm in the in the business of spending my life interviewing people. Um, but I I also spend a lot of time with, especially female clients, trying to be very sensitive and trying to explain to them how to listen to men talking about emotional things because I think there is a very much a, a, a man code when you're talking to men about this. Mm-hmm. You know, men will talk very quickly and short, you know, in, in short staccato bursts about the feelings. Mm-hmm. And you can easily miss something deep and profound <laughs> if, you, yeah. if, right. you, if, if you're not alive to the fact that they won't go on about it, but they will quickly tell you, you know, yeah, help, I'm, I'm feeling very conflicted about this. Anyway, uh, let's, let's have another beer. <laughs> um, so, 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 so there is that, having to understand how kind of profoundly men find it difficult you know, to, to, to discuss the kind of issues around, well, you know, what is my role? I think in terms of themes, what, what themes are we hearing? Um, yes, this kind of being adrift, um, not knowing how to talk about it. And there's, there's something that maybe we could discuss, you know, in, in the UK, there's starting to be more of a kind of active and public men's movement Mm. Um, in a in a way, you know, even saying that phrase makes my skin crawl because <laughs> it just sounds like, you know, I don't know, twenty You're years those ago. Guys in the woods. Yeah, there was some. Who was that guy? Some guy wrote a book like right. twenty five years ago. Men hitting each other in the woods and beating their chests. Right, you know, some primal something. Primal. Horribly cliche stuff. <laughs> right. um, but there is in the UK, uh, people. I was, I was trying to explain this as part of my project. I was trying to explain this to a, a much younger female 
and colleague. That there is this uh, man in the UK who could only be a national treasure in the UK. He, he, I, I firmly believe only in the UK could this man be a national treasure. He's a stunning artist called Grayson Perry. Mm-hmm. He's won the Turner Prize. He's one of the most respected um, artists of his generation. Um, he does the most amazingly beautiful kind of paintings, often on ceramics. Um, so he's a ceramicist. He throws pots, um, which in, in itself is a quite esoteric niche of manly art, <laughs> throwing, <laughs> throwing pots. Right. But um, he's most recognized for being a transvestite. Um, so straight man has kids um, dresses like God rest her soul Shirley Temple you know if you think Shirley Temple as a 50 something year old quite butch guy um, so you know he, he creates quite a visual impact I'm sure. himself um, but he's you know he's a, he's a national treasure and he's on TV all the time and everybody would know him in, in, in the UK and him and a few other people um, like the, um, the singer Billy Bragg they, they did a, a conference about men at the South Bank Centre in London um, which was really fascinating because it was uh, lots of seminars and lots of speeches you know very very TED talk like about the state of masculinity and, and what should we be who should we be how should we feel and it was you know the first thing that I'd ever seen in the mainstream which was that kind of like a men's movement but something that doesn't make you cringe and, and Grayson Perry was, was part of it and he said um, I have the quote somewhere but from memory he said uh, he, he did a kind of male state of the union address or you know a male um, uh, you know manifesto mm. and it was a lot of it was about the things that men especially struggle with which is being wrong and being vulnerable you know and he, he gave this great speech which was mm. we must allow ourselves to be wrong we must allow ourselves to be vulnerable with each other we must allow ourselves to not always be in control um, you know things as human beings that we all struggle with but I think men especially mm. struggle with and it was it was quite profound and quite beautiful I mm. think because yeah. it was a lot of the things that, that, that men do do struggle with and you know I find that because a lot of my work is talking to men about you know things that my clients will pay for so it's often to do with the brands purchasing products that kind of thing right and I always find men especially they want you know they want the, the thing they're most afraid of is having made a empirically bad decision um, they don't like gray areas so when when they purchase you know we're sat drinking coffee if they purchase a coffee machine mm-hmm. better damn well be the right one because otherwise their friends will be like oh well why did you buy that one you know if you read mm. if you read here you'll see that that one's a really bad one and that for men is a world of horror Really? Um, yeah, it's it's a generally you know, when we talk in absolute no, sure. crude stereotypes. No, I'm just thinking about how much time my husband spends researching stuff, appliances, yeah. and things. Yeah, because and and that's also that's really interestingly why men shop the way they shop. Right. You know, because they're they're like, you know, they're not, you know, they don't graze. Women tend to kind of graze around. Men are much more like hawk-like. You know, I go in. I assess the situation. I find the perfect right. pair of trousers. Right. I attack. <laughs> I, you know, I pull back, and then uh, that's also why men repeat by. That's why men will not, you know, don't tend. Men are very difficult to persuade to, you know, if they buy one shampoo, that's a shampoo they will buy till they 
until they die right. in gross generalization because right. they they are sure of that one if they go to another one they may fail and they don't want to fail because the, the, that's that breaks classic guy code and their friends might criticize them obviously right. not for shampoo because you know who really cares but in in products that that fear of um, fear of being found out as as not having made or you can make a mistake as long as you have definitely done your homework and you've rationally made a mistake you can't make a qualitative mistake as a, as a man typically mm-hmm. and so I think you know in terms of what you're especially interested in that when you get into the most qualitative sensitive area which is career family oh right <laughs> you know there is no empirical right or wrong women you know women in the workforce women in in being working moms feel that till the cows come home right but again you know as i said before the territory is fairly clear it's it's where we are on the territory is is obviously very very fluid where we are where we are as women on the territory is very fluid right for men the territory is completely fluid plus we hate the lack of empirical standards or the lack of guy code for what we do it's easy to work nine to five and come home to to, to right. a wife in an apron and right. kids adoring and running running after you that right. that's just clear. easy yeah because we met first in in childbirth in a weekend <laughs> intensive childbirth class we just had so much in common but for you personally knowing everything that you know about men about women and having such insights into you know, people's states of mind. What was it like for you to go through that process and kind of navigate the early decisions of parenthood? It was it, it was easy the first time because we're talking a very interesting period in time. Um, because you know, my wife is just a few days away from from giving birth to our to our second child. My first child, I was working. You know, I, I consider myself in a New Yorker and actually an American, primarily despite my accent. Um, but the first go around, I was working for a Euro- European com- uh, company, right? Um, and it was a big company, so it could afford for me to be off. So I think I had, gosh, I think I had a month off. Um, so did you have to negotiate that? Did you no. have to talk to anybody? It was just no, no, no. Because for often when people have paternity leave, they don't take it. Yeah, no. I, 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 I remember at our um, birth class. I remember just again the European in me was horrified that there was a woman there who was going back after two weeks mm-hmm. um, you know my wife you know again luckily we could just about afford that she was off for 12 months mm-hmm. um, and you know that was fabulous and you know that again as a especially as a dad that's that's traditional that, that is quite astoundingly traditional is, sure. is my you know my priority was uh, you know, have job, keep job, work a job, um, mum, child, live together. You know, it was, it was totally, totally caveman. And, and funnily enough, it actually wasn't funny enough. I got, I got fired from my job um, and on, on month eleven. You know, I think it was month eleven, oh, right. which was, you know, getting fired is um, always existentially. Well, it's only happened once, but um, is existentially uh, horrible, regardless. Um, but when you are totally being oh, I am man must provide it's it's horrific yeah um, and it, you know it all worked out fine so that, that was that was very very easy because 
Jamie home with child, daddy works all the hours God sends to, to provide. So nice and easy. Right. This time around, it's very different. I'm working for a British company, but we're, we're starting up the, uh, a medium-sized company in the UK, Flyerfish, um, and uh, we're starting up an office. Mm-hmm. So that here, so there's just three of us, and you know, I, I can't be away from the business. And, and second time around with the second baby, Babies don't really do anything. <laughs> you know, what do they do? Right. They sit around, you know, you want to save, I would say this to the new parents, you want to save up that month and use it, you know, maybe when they're really starting to cause trouble, you know, around month five, six, whenever, you know, pick, pick your time from zero to 18 and, <laughs> and you know, use your month, <laughs> use your month then. Wisely, yeah. So, um, so that's very difficult. And again, you know, Jamie, we can only afford for her to be off, you know, with the farcical, um, amount of time that you know is, is given to women now um, here mm-hmm. in, in the US she can only be off for three months maximum she's got to get straight back into work um, so how, how are we going to negotiate that what's what's better but what is really interesting I think when you find when you have children especially when you've got to negotiate around working is that there are there are gender differences that I think should be celebrated I think I am good at being you know a bit more of a you know, focused and dad and, you know, driving forward the family in, in a certain direction. Jamie is, my wife, is absolutely fabulous at being a classic multitasking woman who's thinking about next Wednesday's class project, blah, 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 which I would never be able to think about. So I think we do. So so you do find, and you do find, you know, it's, it's even statistical. You know, mm-hmm. women, women do 70, I can't remember what it is, 74.5% of the housework. Right. Um, and I think there is, you know, I think there is things that we should be happy with that there are gender differences mm-hmm. um, in terms of how we settle into the, the kind of roles as, as parents. But when it's, you know, sh- can I work t- till nine o'clock on Wednesday or can you and, you know, one child has got to do this, one child's got to do that, then it becomes very, very complex, I think. And one of the things that I've been trying to uh, unpack is how how and if you think it would ever be possible to get men and women together around a conversation about working parenthood mm. and whether or not we have enough commonality to really see mm. what the other one is talking about. Because at this mm. point, there's a mom 2.0, there's a dad 2.0, mm. there's all these different things, which in, in their own way, you know, I'm, I'm excited about some of them. Some of them make me cringe also. But I, but I think there's a conversation that we're not, having because we're siloed in terms of the women's conversation we Mm. seem to be in this circular you know Mm. should we lean in should we opt out should we what are we backwards are we forwards (laughs) i mean i it's it amazes me every time there's a piece that sparks any conversation Mm. there's a very quick lashing back from Mm. one side or the other how dare you say this there's always a kind of a fight Mm. that ensues Mm. um, around the women's issues. And I feel like with the dad conversation, like we'll have a picture of a guy or two dads doing their kid's hair and the response on the interwebs will be, isn't that wonderful? He did her hair. And that's it, right? That's the and um. What, 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 one of my just j- just on that before I forget, because this this is something that I get on a soapbox about, especially in my industry. So you know, I'm often a big part of what we do is um to 
evaluate commercial messages. So we often go out yeah. with scripts around commercials or um, when commercials are finished, we go, we go out to find out, get in a qualitative way, find out what people feel about them. You know, so not measuring numerically, although that is very often done. You know, what is the effect of this commercial? But right. just having a conversation about, so, you know, you saw that commercial, it cost them $5 million to make. You know, <laughs> and, and how do you feel about what it's saying? Right. Um, and one of my bugbears um, is the representation of men in popular culture mm -hmm. um, as, especially when you get to dads, as hapless, hopeless, um, oh, isn't it, you know, a little bit like a performing dog walking on its hind legs. <laughs> isn't it sweet for being able to brush its daughter's hair or get its daughter right. dressed properly in, in something <laughs> that coordinates ha 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 ha. Right. Um, you know, the kind of... Homer Simpson's a bad example because it's a fabulously well-written show, but, uh, you know, if you think about any sitcom dad who's, you know, the sitcom mom is the saviour, you know, is, is the person that solves everything. In commercials, it's agonising. Really? You know, the, the hapless dad trope is universal, go-to, deeply, profoundly offensive. Yeah. Written by men, my, you know, most I know a lot of the most creatives, as they're called in advertising advertising agencies, write this stuff. They are mostly men, right. or almost universally white men, um, and you know, obviously you can find many many exceptions. You know, Modern Family, lots of different kind of kind of places have got lots of very honourable exceptions to it. But it but it definitely is a, is a trope. And I think, especially as a dad, you know, the amount of times I've been scolded in the playground by moms, or you know, given what, what do they call it when you when you have that stare, given the given the kind of wait for what for I I still remember when I was taking my son Finn on a slide, um, and he was he was only one year old. And it was that huge slide, you know, the huge slide in slide park. Pier six, yeah, 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 and. Um, and I put him on the slide, and I was about to get sit down behind him, so it was you know safe because it's a big, big yeah, slide. Right. And I put him on the slide, and this mom just looked at me and went, "He's far too young to be on that slide." Wow. <laughs> and I was like, "Whoa! Wow. Yes, that's why I'm going to be. <laughs> I am his daddy. Don't worry." Wow. Uh, you know the, you know every dad can tell lots and lots of tales, and and we are. I actually know, haven't heard. I mean. That's interesting. I, I don't, I guess I haven't asked about it. So it's interesting to hear, because I've, I've heard a lot from women who talk about correcting their husbands. Mm. So like he, you know, he forgot to mm. bring the blanket to school. He mm. doesn't know about the project that's next week, mm. whatever. Mm. But I've actually never heard about men having the experience of being shamed, some kind of shamed publicly shamed. by somebody else's mm. mother. I, I, you know, and, I, and I've, I've got a, I've got a, a good friend. She was actually a boss of mine, um, and her uh, British. Uh, they, they live in Connecticut, and um, when her uh, when her son was growing up, um, his dad was full time um, dad, and and he talked a lot about just the weirdness of being the full time dad surrounded by full time moms, uh -huh. and just the kind of the exclusion, the just they. You know, again, everybody's trying to be wonderfully modern people, right? But it's weird, yeah. You know, having you know, when your 
when six women are, are all together and kids are having a play date and you're the guy there right. it's inevitably quite strange and then people right you can only hear so much talk about well, breastfeeding uh, and, or is it just it, beyond that it just gets weird the well, dynamics yeah, and, just get weird but, but, but uh, what you were saying before about you know can we have a conversation about this it just reminded me of that you know that phrase who, who said it was it thinking John Lennon but it, it seems even a bit too profound for John you know life uh, life's what happens when, you, when you're busy making plans life's what happens right, right. when you're busy making plans right and this idea of a conversation because you know if I think about all the friends that I know who are parents men and women and all the differences that they have as people you know very quickly you know just by dint of being a parent if you're uncomfortable you know with breastfeeding it goes away but you know I remember right. one of my closest friends I've known her since she was 16 she's like a sister to me you know and I hadn't I hadn't got a child and she's like how do you feel about me breastfeeding now and she just had a baby and I'm like I'm fine <laughs> <laughs> that's okay yeah, I this oh story. this is odd <laughs> 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 You know, started to get very interested in the paintings around the room. Right. Once, especially once you've had children, that just goes out the window. So right. this idea of is there a conversation? Well, men and women are having it with each other and trying to figure this stuff out. They've got good relationships anyway. Yeah. Men are, you know, I, I you know I think when you become a a dad, there's this huge wash of relief because you can. Right, we, we actually have to figure this stuff out. If <laughs> right. We're going to be good parents. We have to talk about it. We talk about it with our friends. Right. Um, I talk about it, you know, with your husband, with other dads. Sure. I had a dad, an old colleague of mine, you know, I was emailing him saying, I'm terrified my baby daughter's about to be born. <laughs> He's like, oh, God, the last week's the worst. <laughs> you know, mums just want to get it over with. Dads are just wondering. He, he wrote me this beautiful email, which was, dads are just wondering... Are we going to be good enough? Are we going to be good enough? Um, you know, for the next child, are we going to be good enough during the birth? And are we going to be good enough um, with two children? It's making me feel quite emotional now because it yeah. was that. And I, and I think again that encapsulates a very sensitive man, yeah. articulating what men often do grunt about. One of the difficult things is is actually, or from certainly from my perspective is asserting yourself um, or I think one of the difficult things that I hear men talking to me about is well I do what she tells me mm. um, mm -hmm. and not, not not in a bad way in you know when children come along it's you know the the mom has primacy the the, discu the discussion is being had with men women with friends at a you know at a very sensitive and thoughtful level um, around how do we uh, raise children and bring in money and it is being had and the media kind of doesn't really give credit to it or we go off on these weird angles around tiger moms leaning in leaning out what, whatever right. you know that's just the latest whatever the latest headline need, needs to be so so I think you know I think I think in terms of you know men taking advantage of any any time that they can. Well, yeah, they want to, but also, and this is a very male thing: is just what is best for the financial welfare of my family. Mm -hmm. That again is is a safe place for men to to retreat to. 
Mm-hmm. You know, right? Because they ain't going to advocate in the workplace for it because that's very women. That's what women do. You know, women right. women advocate in the workplace. You know, minorities advocate in the workplace. Just just your guy does not talk to right. you know go go to HR and say you know what I'm feeling a little bit pressured to be to be back in the uh, in the office. You know, right. I, I think actually for you know my health and welfare, no, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> those no. conversations I don't think happen. It's difficult enough for women to have those conversations about asserting their, their legal and moral rights in the workplace. I think men also do have a little bit of the, you know, poor, poor man syndrome, which is, well, I'm a man, you know, I, I ain't got nothing to complain. It's, it's not one iota easier. I, I, I think, again, that this is, a, this is an interesting way to look at it. It's not one iota easier, I believe, for a woman to advocate for her rights in the workplace. But she knows that many, many, many women have gone before her who have advocated, you know, our mothers, our grandmas, you know, have. Mm-hmm. That, is, that, that is a space I think she feels she can and should inhabit. If she, if, she, if she has the ability, the courage, the, you know, the ability not to get fired, you know, if she can, mm-hmm. she knows that's a space she can move to. Whereas men, right. to, you know, I'd feel that, you know, I'm... I'm I come from socialist union parents, you right. know, I, I'm a very confident, articulate person advocating for my rights within a workplace. Yeah. <laughs> is, is, is that a place I, I, I should be? Again, like poor white guy syndrome, you know, look, 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 look at me, the white guy. What, what do I have to complain about? Everything's stacked right. towards me. Does, more. But does oh. that really work that way anymore? I mean, it's interesting. Two stories come to mind. So one, um, one was from my interview last week and another was from a client call and it was from a client who is in a big company and she is going back to work and someone on her team is you know she's the only woman on her team and as she's going back to her team she was talking about you know I asked if there were any other parents on her team who had asked for any flexibility or Mm. you know time off and she said yeah you know there's a dad who's got a couple kids young kids he's very very involved i just wonder whether they whether he knows all the shit they're talking behind his back basically Mm. because Mm. they're talking it all the time Mm. so there was there was that story Mm. um and then there was then the interview i did last week with my friend riz i mean he at this point you know he's had kids for a long time he's got a 15 year old as his oldest but he basically just negotiated the job and said look like I'm going to do my job. Hmm. I'm going to be there 150%, but I'm going to need flexibility. I have three kids. I'm a single dad. Right. You have to let me work from home when I need to work from home, and I'm hmm. not taking that as vacation. Hmm. The end. Hmm. And there was just like, he said, I'm good enough at what I do. I'm qualified. Um, hmm. I think, uh, uh, yeah, I think... Without mentioning names, I, you know, I think having having a good balance of genders in the workplace and having a good balance of parents in the workplace makes that much easier. Because you know, if you don't have that, or if you have more, you know, I know from personal experience, if you have a cadre of senior management who either don't have children or you know, Kind of, what's the politest way of putting it? Oper- operating a more traditional model, <laughs> where where there is a wife at home who's who's doing everything, then 
the kind of you know I had this the other day I was um, um, I really wanted to be with my son to help out at school because they you know every time they have a field trip watch parents can come no time is a good time to do that you know there's never going to be a good time um, and so it was a really bad time to do it but I promise so I am going you know from 10 10 till 1 I'm going to be at school and I you know I thought you know I'll, I'll book it as a half day but it did even at the time I'm like I, I can't check my email now because I'm with kids uh, <laughs> it did feel you know as European as I am which is you know we work so that we can live um, it felt like a real guilty pleasure almost and, mm. and I knew that it was you were going to have to fight a, I was going to have to fight against that and it's like is that normal you know is, is should it should I do things like that should I not do things like that should that be what mom does should that be what dad does mm-hmm. it's just if, if there was a rule book it would be infinitely easier <laughs> because you know even, even if I Shut didn't like it right dads don't do that kind of crap Right. Mums do that kind of crap. Right. right that's the rule. Great. Okay. There we go. <laughs> don't like it. Don't think it's right. But at least, at least you know, so it's like a dog doesn't mind its bottom dog versus top dog as long as it knows. You know, in, in the hierarchy of pack animals, they are comfortable <laughs> being bottom dog as long as it's clear. They're right. just very uncomfortable if it's not clear. Right. And I think, you know, I think that's where dads or men feel is, oh, at least, you know, the rules for women are harsh but very clear, you know, you should do it all, you should exceed <laughs> at everything. I think it's funny, I was reading, um, I was rereading Happiest Baby on the Block um, to try and get my chops <laughs> back yeah. um, about swaddling, and I, I don't know where I'm going with this, but there's, there's something, um, you know, because the rules about having, you know, we forgot how to treat children for, you know, about 100 years, and so now we're back to, yeah, you, you swaddle a little buggers as tight as possible so that they can't thrash around and and it says in the book often dads are much better at swaddling because they're like right you know you fresh child who's like you know seven pounds right i'm gonna wrap you and <laughs> duct tape you nice and tight you know they're right. not as you know like oh my god what's gonna happen to this to this child and i think you know i think there is you know i think i think that uh, that's almost what i'd like especially working dads to kind of have a bit more esprit de corps around is mm-hmm. right uh, uh, alright Bob, Trevor, John you know my team I'm going to be off this afternoon because I'm going on a flower hunting expedition with, with my kids school right, um, right. you know see you later um, because it's good for my child therefore it's good for my child it's good for me therefore you know I'll be right. a happier harder working employee 